Welcome back to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. On today's episode, David Morrison and I sit down and discuss uh, the theology of the kingdom of God. We talk about uh, John Wimber and Richard Rohr's contribution to this theology. And uh, we go down a couple different tangents and rabbit holes. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. And before we uh, jump into it, I would like to thank Diego once again for his awesome editing skills. You can check him out at recordingmovingstudios.com. Those drums you hear in the background are thanks to Monk Drums, uh, Jacob, Greg, and Donnie. And you can check out Monk Drums at monkdrums.com. And uh, thank you, Eric, over at uh, Star City Studios Productions. You can check them out at starcitystudiosproductions.com. And lastly, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, you can check us out at theruin.com or we are on Facebook. So without any more hesitation or delay, let's get into today's episode. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you might be listening to this. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. How you doing, Mr. David Morrison? Um, on the episode today, we uh, some people that we've we've talked about in, in future episodes. Uh, the conversation we're going to have is around um, the theology of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And uh, two major players in and around that is uh, John Wimber, sort of his outlook in that theology, and uh, as well as Richard Rohr, and sort of his connection with that. And maybe to start us off, um, you could you could uh, give us sort of the the one minute pitch of what that what that theology looks like. Yeah. So basically, the, when they say kingdom of God, they're referring to what Jesus referred to in his teaching and his demonstration in his ministry, which is the realm of God or the presence of God, the power of God, the justice of God, breaking in to the world situation now. It's not to be confused with a very popular theology called kingdom now theology or dominionism, or prosperity gospel. It's not the same thing. They might overlap on a few points, right? but they're, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what John Wimber or George Eldon Ladd or Richard Rohr are, are, uh, are talking about. So. Mm-hmm. so it's basically, in layman's terms, uh, the kingdom of God here and now in the present moment in the world as it is. As yes. the world is. Yes. And that's not, you know, it's it's not a radical sounding idea now, but in evangelical circles in the 70s and 80s when George Eldon Ladd was writing about that, it, it, was, it wasn't radical, but it was definitely novel. It was a... It, it wasn't mainstream, so to speak. No, because uh, charismatics, 
uh, in the 1970s, the Jesus People Movement, mm-hmm. and even many evangelicals, the conservative ones anyway, were very much obsessed, as they are now, with the end times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was, so there wasn't much of a, an option, if you will, an alternative uh, understanding of Jesus's what they call es- eschatology, which is the, the end of the age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you would hear in a pulpit, and nowadays too, on, at the popular level of Christianity about eschatology, about the end of the age, is really not what you'll hear in the academic circles, um, and in, even in basic, uh, at least scholarly Bible commentaries. Right. So they're not on the same page, if you will. So, so John Wimber was was uh, brought it to a popular level, mm. and Richard Rohr is today, and the Vineyard Church movement as well. Mm-hmm. So very, it's still in a very important theology. Uh, for us, because it's the it's the thesis statement of Jesus, uh, it's the central teaching of Jesus. All of his parables begin with uh, you know the kingdom of God is like that's that's a major phrase throughout the the gospels, right? Um, and so yeah, so and so what as far as your understanding um, at the time that. Uh, John Wimber is introducing this to the sort of mainstream idea, introducing it within the um, vineyard movement. Sort of what what was the the take on it, or you know, was it? Yeah, was there a certain uh, pushback against it? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and could you yeah talk about yeah? That so bit. at the time in the early eighties, mid eighties, maybe. Wimber was invited. Uh, George Eldon Ladd was a professor at Fuller. Okay. Uh, Fuller uh, and, and Seminary. J- right. And John Wimber. He was a part of the Church Growth School. Right. At the same program. institute. And so they invited Wimber to do an actual course on signs and wonders and the kingdom of God. That was an actual title. And it was very controversial at the time. Mm. And so, so, yeah. So Wimber's take on it was more of a charismatic. It didn't really... He ventured into justice issues, uh, but the vineyard later, after vineyard, expanded it. Right. So Wimber was really talking about specifically that God is available and accessible now for specific things that Jesus did in the Gospels. Those are available now, uh, namely healing. Right, healing. I was going to say healing uh, yeah, is a big speaking one Speaking in tongues, uh, the Pentecostal experience, the one that they don't—they didn't—he would make jokes about, but you don't really see it replicated—is uh, walking on water. But yeah. uh, I don't know; it's problematic, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but that was his thesis statement: is that uh, any believer uh, can be accessed by the Holy Spirit, and and can be used as an instrument, just as Jesus Jesus was. Uh, uh, in Jesus's ministry, if you will, right. which is ongoing through the Spirit, uh, to to be a, a demonstration of this kingdom. So, so some of it would be in the in the Lord's Prayer, uh, mm-hmm. "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven." Well, in heaven, the idea is in the world to come. There's no uh, sickness, mm-hmm. and so that future world is breaking in now mm-hmm. through the obedience of believers. And and he, John Wimber, kept it mainly to those signs and wonders, miraculous kinds of things, 
even though it's much more than right. that. And and I think also just to point out that that's where the healing comes in, the miraculous healing. Yeah. Is that that's a sign of it breaking through in, in the moment. Exactly. In and, that moment. And interestingly enough, uh, at the same time in the 1980s, Richard Rohr was as a as a younger priest was pastoring a, a community of charismatic Catholics mm. um, in the Midwest. Okay. And you know, and I've, in my experience as well, your the charismatic experience is a great experience mm. until it's not. You know, and and so then you have to look for more. Well, and as we've covered before, that that that's where you grew up. Yes. I mean, not as a child, but sort of as your spiritual. In my teens, matured, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so Wimber's teaching did two things for me. One was expecting God to be moving and working in our every daily life, with uh, you know, and to be expecting miracles mm-hmm. uh, at every turn. So that was the first movement. The second movement was the language itself, kingdom of God, uh, because most evangelicals, when you listen to any televangelists or if you listen to any Christian radio or or even your your local church, most of those pastors are going to be preaching out of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. They really love Romans. It's right. like Lay's potato chips. You can't get them to stop <laughs> And But here, so, so as at an early age, I'm hearing the phrase kingdom of God. Well, what that did to me is, uh, well, Paul the Apostle seldom uses that phrase. Mm-hmm. Jesus does. So it led me more towards the Gospels themselves. Uh-huh. And there came a point in my 30s as a preacher who had to give a sermon every Sunday. I, I just decided I, I have too many problems with Paul mm. personally, and, and I'm just going to ignore the letters, and I'm going to just focus on the Gospels themselves. And so I began a good five-year study of, and, med- and personal meditation on just Namely, really the first three Gospels, okay. uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, Matthew, and, and uh, Luke. And, and it radicalized me. Mm-hmm. With, with, so, so then there became a, a liberation theology that came in with the kingdom of God theology, which is uh, the Beatitudes, the be, right, to be these say, people. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you even focus in more than just those three Gospels, but fo- focus yeah. in on the Sermon on the Mount, it, if you meditate and read that and study that, it, I can't imagine you not becoming a radicalized Christian. Yeah, so yeah. Consumerism won't work for you anymore. Yeah, it'll the fall apart. Capitalist system doesn't work uh, for you anymore, uh, and and either does political power of any sort. You know, and it. Well, it'll still work for you because you have to live right. In yeah, the means yeah. Because that's that's the time and place that you and I have been born yeah. into. But, you move to the margins, right? But the the um, the full buy-in, yeah, 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 exactly. The full buy-in. Yeah. That's a good. So, so that's those are the two things that that Wimber uh, did for me, and then Richard Rohr being a, a, I guess, a transitional person from the charismatic perspective of life to the contemplative uh, view of life helped me make that transition for myself. And so it expands your view of the kingdom of God. And the Vineyard Movement as well, you know, Derek Morphew is a South African uh, teacher, 
and he's expanded a lot of it to mm. include social justice, to include uh, a lot of the liberation theology points mm -hmm. um, beyond just signs and wonders and, and you know, Holy Spirit filled. And I, I would also add, so Jesus uses this phrase constantly, the kingdom of God, right. and then he demonstrates what it looks like. Um, I would say that Paul, the apostle, uses the word Christ as the same thing. As Christ and kingdom of the, of God. Yeah, as the same mm -hmm. phrase. I, I would say, yeah. Example. And so then it's not the person of Christ necessarily. It's the kingdom of Christ, which is Christ. Which connects to uh, the Trinity. Exactly, and yeah. That, that sacred dance between the three. Exactly. Yeah. And I would add also the book of Acts would use the term the Holy Spirit. It seemed right. good to us and the Holy Spirit that we should... A, B, and C, you know. Mm -hmm. So these are interchangeable terms, in my opinion. Others would probably pick it apart, but that's it works for me. Well, and, and I think, so speaking of Richard Rohr, um, we we actually have this, this quote that I, I wanted to interject here as this evolves. But the virtue for living in the in-between times, Jesus calls faith. He's talking about the grace and the freedom to live God's dream for the world now. Yeah while not rejecting the world as it is. That's a mighty tension that is not easily resolved. That's a, yeah, that's a great quote. And, and it differs from probably what evangelicals would say, because they don't accept the world as it is. Uh, they, they have a real problem with that mm -hmm. because they, they follow the, the Calvin Augustinian model uh, that the world is evil, innately evil. And so, which I, I don't believe that. Right. And I, and I think that goes back to what we were saying a couple minutes ago of um, having that tension of, of the capitalistic society, the yeah. political power within society, and acknowledging that's part of the world as it is now. Yeah. So how do we bring this kingdom that we're trying to live out, this, this Christ um, centered life that we're trying to live out? How do we engage and yeah. enter into those things yeah. led, being led by God? Yeah, I would say the Jesus model, you don't engage those things uh, without being crucified, which was a political crucifixion in, in, in many ways. You mean ways. you don't challenge those things without being crucified? Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry. When I, so uh, when I was saying engage, You don't get out of this alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. <laughs> Yeah, my my when I when I when I was talking about engage being living within the confines yeah. of those things because that when yeah. we wake up in the morning that's the reality we're in today. Yeah, so within that reality you live the reality of the kingdom of God which is the world to come breaking mm -hmm. in now. So in that world there's justice. Uh there is no male, no female, no slave or free like Paul said in Galatians. So you just begin living that way. Mm -hmm. Quakers did this uh, very well uh, and have done this. Um, so they lived in a world when they decided and discerned as a group that slavery was a truly an evil, corrupt system that needed to be uh, abolished. Right. They just began to live that way uh, within the greater reality. Mm -hmm. and, um, and however far you took it is how far you took it. Well, and I, and I think one thing to sort of uh, point out and make a distinguish is 
in this theology um, with it, of the kingdom of God, you're not sitting around waiting for the end times. No. See, it gives you an out to those games. Right. And that's what's very attractive to me. Right. E- even as a teenager, for some reason, I, I was not attracted to end times uh, mystique, mm-hmm. if you will. I, I, I don't know why. I, I was interested in UFOs and, <laughs> and those kinds of things. Right. But for some reason, in t- and I put them in the same category. You know, is so-and-so the Antichrist? Is, uh, is, yes. uh, is Magog Russia? Uh, you know, I, I think those are silly things. I right. think people that play those games are, are just, uh, they're Don Quixote uh, going after the windmills mm-hmm. is what, you know. And I don't mean any dis- disrespect, but I, 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 well, I, don't, I don't respect it. I'm sorry. I just don't. Right. And, and I think one of the important things to, to point out is that there were, from what I understand, in the early church, there were people that were waiting for these end times, the return of yeah. Christ, so to speak. And here we are 2,000 years later. Yeah. And there's the same groups of, and camps of people waiting for the same thing. Yeah. And if I'm going to be intellectually honest, Jesus in the in the Gospels is uh, an, an apocalyptic teacher. He's an he's a teacher of the end times, and there was definitely an end time, uh, uh, end of the age expectation. And if you follow the kind of general evangelical rule of reading the Bible, which is the the main thing is the the plain thing is the main thing. Mm. Uh, it doesn't work for me anyway because yeah, he did not return in that generation. You you could dance around it and come up and spin it. And say, well, you know, it was this or that. Um, uh, but as early as Augustine, uh, since I bashed him, now I'll lift him up again because <laughs> I respect him. Uh, well, and I think that's also well. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, as early as, as, as in his time, he was he said Jesus returns uh, every every Advent mm-hmm. <laughs> in the liturgical season. Uh, we look for Jesus's return, and, and he returns in the Eucharist and. Uh, you know, and then other th- uh, church fathers would say, well, he never left, mm. you know, and, and so there's that as well. So, you know, if they misunderstood the first coming of the Messiah, if there was great confusion and misunderstanding about that, as you see in the, in the New Testament. Yeah, how the much, disciples Yeah, were exactly. Right. So how much more confusion about these things would there be now? Mm-hmm. And so why not stick to... Jesus's proclamation: the kingdom is is here, and it's and it's coming. You know, and and that's that's a f- common phrase you'll hear in the in the in vineyard circles: uh, the already but not yet. Mm. So it's been established but not fully, and and we're borrowing from the resources of the future to now. Well, and I, and I think that goes to, uh, I mean, I think there's a parallel like in the the New Age circles where they really reiterate over and over that even though we perceive time is linear time is not linear right right and that's why how that's we're able we're, yeah. to like you're saying borrow from the future because christ is already here with us yeah right now and when you look at the jesus event mystically it's all compounded in time anyway so the the his his arrival uh his incarnation his uh Teaching, his demonstration of power, his suffering, his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection and his ascension are all 
a single point in eternity always happening. These are, these are realities that are always present. And that's why the revelator uh, sees the Lamb of God who was slain before the creation of the cosmos. Mm. And so what, well, what does that mean, right? So there's no linear time at that point. Well, because each one of those things you described within the Christ timeline is the same exact thing. All of those things are happening right now in humanity. Yes. As we're having this conversation. Exactly. And so it's some mystical understanding and, you know, and, and John's gospel may not use the word. He, the, the Jesus in John's gospel doesn't use the terminology of the kingdom of God, but he uses eternal life. Well, eternal life is beyond time beyond space right and so so we're talking eternal realities that are always present to the edge of the universe yeah right and so and here within this room with us yes and they could be manifested in 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 our time Mm -hmm. and so well and so you know we're 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 getting out into the clouds right now yeah and and so to which i think is a is necessary for this topic and appropriate to really cover this topic. But but then what does that mean t- for the average person living it today who's listening to this stuck in a traffic jam? What what does that mean, the you know, the kingdom of God breaking through yeah. for them in this moment? You could still your heart in that traffic jam. You could be still. And in that present moment, as you give yourself to that present moment, the kingdom of God is present mm-hmm. and is manifesting. You know, and, and for me, one of the thing, one of the practical things I do is in order to so one way to steal myself is sitting quietly, right? Another way that I like to engage that that kingdom breaking through is thinking of all those people in my life and just praying for them. Yeah. You know, whether whether they're doing really well and succeeding in life, whether they're, you know, one of my good friends yesterday got got a um, positive COVID test mm. and, you know, he, he's physically feeling ill. Yikes. Um, mentally, he's, he seems to be in a good place. Um, so praying for him and his, you know, his immediate family that share a house together. Right. And so whether you're you're. You know, you just got that promotion at that job you've been working at, and um, I'll pray for you, congratulatory stuff, or yeah. you just lost the job, you know, the dream job you've had for 20 years, um, praying for that person as well in the same moment, because it's the same person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you could, even in the traffic jam, lift up your hand and pray for the the person's head that you see in front of you, in the mm-hmm. car in front of you. And begin to pray for their whole life story. And and, and then begin to think of, uh, this is someone I'm never going to meet, most likely. But we're in this space and time together for this moment. And that person that's just a shape in front of me, in that, in that Volvo in front of me, uh, is a person who has hopes and dreams and has complex uh, circumstances in their lives, has worries, has joys. And through this prayer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with that. I'm going to join with that which is the ultimate meaning of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and, and and Paul's theology too, which is the, the joining and the connectedness of all things. Uh, when you see that phrase, you see that phrase throughout Paul's letters, all things, the Christ of all things. And so uh, 
it's not a bad way to live, not a bad way to, to spend a, a traffic jam. Right. Because and, and even you can do it to the person to the side of you. Yeah. You can you can look in your rearview mirror, do it to the person behind you. Exactly. Um, and then you've created a community within those, you know, five or six cars around yeah. you in the moment. It's, it's the mystical body of Christ you just you just accessed or it accessed you, you know. Right. Or an ambulance comes through and then you realize someone's normal day, uh, their idle Tuesday uh, has been uh, completely interrupted and they're on the, and they're going to be loaded onto an ambulance and taken to the hospital. Well, you could be as present as you can to that person through prayer uh, in that, you know, in one of their not so good days. Mm-hmm. And so so much you can do in just an ordinary uh, circumstance of time and space. Well, and as you were talking about uh, the Holy Spirit or the kingdom of God accessing you in that moment as you're praying for the, those cars around or the people in those cars around you. Yeah. Reminded me of the recovery world we talk about. Uh, step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Yeah. You know, and, and that it's, came to believe, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's an ongoing process of, of what we can access, what we can be a part of, how we can engage these spiritual practices. Yeah. Um, because maybe not everybody is, is ready to pray for those people, you know, those strangers around them. Yeah. And so it's different levels. Yeah, even on the opposite end of the spectrum, a Pentecostal might get out of her car mm. and knock on the window of that person and start chatting them up or run to the accident scene. I've heard of stories like that. And, uh, you know. Expound on that a little, <laughs> even if it's in a general way. Yeah, they may go to the accident scene and begin to lay hands on the victims. You might get yourself beat up by the police. Right. Uh, <laughs> The EMTs might be, might, yeah, uh, you know, but I've heard stories like that. I might have done a thing like that myself. So, uh, within a traffic jam, no, but just where you break the frame and you, you engage in conversation with someone. And, you know, I was in the habit of doing that in my, uh, late teens and twenties, you know, um, so. And just, and I mean, I think the beautiful thing of that is it, it's creating that community in the moment. Yeah. I mean, when you're confrontational, it's kind of bizarre. It can be a yeah, bizarre experience. That's, that's, and I'm not looking for that mm-hmm. in my, uh, and I don't have a need to uh, get Jesus to uh, approve of me. So, so I'm being a good little soldier and <laughs> giving one up for the chipper in the sky, you know, every, you know, that's just not my. But I think you can do those things without trying to sell the Jesus. Yeah. You like you can. Um, but I'm not going to judge someone that is. No, know, no, no. Right, right, right. All right, right. You want to get out of the car and. <laughs> well, I think that's what it goes to saying that like everybody's at different levels. Right. Exactly. So, so what people are called to do is much different person to person. Yeah. And I don't think there are better levels. One is better than the right. other. Uh you know, well, I think that's where the going, to, remembering this idea that everybody's unique. Yeah. So everyone brings a different um, skill or um, calling, if you will, yeah. to this thing called life. But we're all a community. 
Right. And yeah. so someone, you know, someone that prefers to sit in the wilderness, sit in silence, you know, for several hours a day for, and the person that gets out of their car and runs yeah. up to a scene of an accident and starts praying and laying hands. Um, and someone that show goes, you know, another person that goes to jail to right. contact them and another person that, um, you know, leads a church in some way right in worship maybe maybe you know maybe singing and playing guitar is something that fills their heart with joy but we're all the same in the sense that we're all in this community yeah exactly of bringing the divine light or the kingdom of god to this this moment yeah and it's what paul called the diversity of gifts Mm. from the holy spirit in the holy spirit you know it's such a huge vast diversity of them and so. And, and actually, so to that point, with with you specifically, it it seems as though through these conversations, your gifts have ebbed and flowed throughout your lifetime of what, yeah, of what you how you encounter the world, and maybe you could touch on how just the diversity of gifts within you, how that served people around you, or how how you yeah. noticed it served people around you. Well, in my, in my late teens and early 20s to mid-20s, I was, I was known, if you will, as a prophetically gifted person. That's what mm. they called me. And I would sense, if you will, right. private information about individuals. Sometimes I'd go up to them and disclose that information, and they would be— uh, you know, shocked. Right, I was going to say probably blown away. <laughs> shocked and chagrined. And then, I, and then that would become the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus, <laughs> my invisible friend, and, uh, and pray with them and build a friendship, if you will. Um, and I would do this collectively as well. If I was preaching in front of a group, I would point people out. and Individuals within yeah, a group. I, I made a point not to make it embarrassing for people. Right. Uh, as far as like private sin or something like that, I wouldn't do that. Uh, even though I would sense it. Uh, And I just felt like it was, uh, eventually by my 30s of practicing that, I didn't feel like it was serving people. Mm. Uh, I felt like it was just a a parlor trick, if you will. I don't mean any disrespect for it, but it just didn't feel right anymore for me. Do you think that's maybe because you matured within your spiritual walk or it just sort of that ship just sort of sailed with time? I think contemplative practice burned it out of me because when you do silent prayer, you're not trying to figure out God or what God is mm-hmm. doing. You are just accepting the presence, the gift of the presence of God and you're giving your consent to the presence, to the silence. Whereas the charismatic way is uh, I, I want to operate in this gift, so I'm going to turn, tune myself up, if you will, <laughs> right. or as Wimber used Which to say. Which you probably can. You can, yeah. yeah. Wimber used to call it dial, dial down, mm. which is a very Quaker uh, concept, you know, to dial down. Quakers would say center down, you know, and, and so he applied these Quaker uh, techniques, if you will, to charismatic experience. And again, for the time, it was groundbreaking because Mm -hmm. you either had the uh, one extreme of 
affected behavior of Pentecostals to the other extreme of evangelicals who would actually believe that God is not available to do anything. Uh, you, you should not pray. You know, they actually have a teaching that, that says the miracles and signs and wonders ceased with the death of the last apostle, you know. And, okay. and so, so they shifted all supernatural power to the written Bible. Mm. And so, uh, so, you know, so, you have, so Wimber went into that radical middle is what right. we called it in the vineyard. Uh, and and Roar uses that term yeah, the all the time, times. the middle, uh, this radical middle of uh, liminal space. So that, for me, that was very uh, influential. And then, I'm, you know, at the time I was a literature major. And so that, that's the first time I heard the term uh, liminal space, you know, in, in literature. That's when, uh, you know, I'll take it down to the fairy tale level, midnight. Mm-hmm. That's where the day begins and the night ends and... Uh, and that's where the magic happens. Right. So it's a liminal space. With the clock striking midnight. Yeah. And so, so it, it all just kind of came together for me. Okay. And so, and so I, I could turn on those gifts, if you will, I guess. Right. Uh, so is that shifted, the prophetic voice shifted from you? What, what was, what did it sort of transition to for you as far as your diversity? Yeah. Ideas? I think instead of speaking prophecies, and I don't mean prophecies and future events. We're, we're talking uh, speaking what's relevant now, mm. what God may be speaking to us now in this time. In this moment. Uh, not not uh, an event that's going to take place. That's, uh, I, I think uh, instead of speaking it, becoming it, living it, mm. which is basically living the gospel, we're prophetic people because we're, we're again, we're living in the world to come that Jesus envisioned uh, we're living in that world which is to come now uh, with the power of grace. I mean, how do you become a pacifist? I, I, I don't see, uh, outside of a, a work, a miraculous work of the Spirit in my heart, uh, I don't see myself behaving as a pacifist at the end of the day, you know. Right. It's a radical, radical vision. And I don't mean just physical violence. I'm talking about my tongue, my mouth, my critical even, even mouth. your thoughts. My thoughts. Well, my thoughts for sure. Uh, my entertainment preferences. Uh, you know, that's a radical, pacifism is still a radical, radical thing. When I see the rise of ri- white supremacy in the world right now, I, I have, find it very, the, following Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr. through the eye of the needle looks very difficult for me because my Irish roots come up and I'm like, yeah. Well, and, it, and it's it's both sides, right? The, you know, the far left is burning down buildings in, yeah, yeah. in uh, Portland, and and the far right is, you know, having having a tiki torch parades yeah. in Charlottesville, right? Like it's violence is coming from both sides. Yeah, in, I have in, I have a personal hatred for racism more than anything else. That's mm. so I don't know why. It's just a weird thing. Maybe I'm trying to redeem the racism of my own ancestors and. Right, because I think um, terrorizing people in any form is terrible. Yeah. Whether you're going to someone's apartment building and trying to burn it down, like right. some of the things in, in Portland, or you're literally running over people in the streets of yeah. Charlottesville, um, or you're flying fucking planes into a building. Right, yeah. Like, either way, you're bringing terror Whether it's to anarchy, people's heart. Yeah. Anarchy or... or uh, Organized white supremacy yeah. or uh, any kind or of religious, religious, 
yeah. that brings terror to someone's heart, in my mind, yeah. is is equally um, oppressive. And- well, oppressive, and, and even just on a personal level, um, you know, it, it hits that empathy of my heart, not only for the people being terrorized, but for the terrorizer. Yeah, yeah. Because in my experience, well, I'll share this story. Okay. And it's it, it it's that that idea of radical empathy, sort of that in between place. Um, was it 2013, 12, when the the guy dressed up as the Joker and went into the Colorado mm, yeah. uh, theater and shot up movie. of the Batman movie. I don't you, remember the year, but I remember that. Yeah. Incident, yeah. And it was devastating, especially I think for us being in the proximity, I was living here in New Mexico, you know, you're in New Mexico, grew up in, in El Paso. So we're, the proximity is close. Colorado is very similar to New Mexico as far as the, um, outside, you know, the mountains and the the desert portion of it and the forest portion. And I can remember two or three days after. So my immediate response was being very sad for all the people that had been shot, all the people that had been killed, all the people that had been wounded, their family members, you know, that still didn't know how there was going to turn yeah, out. Yeah. And then I don't remember what there was something that happened. I think I was listening to unrelated listening to a, a, a <laughs> we've brought it up before, but on being, I think I was listening to an on being and, and they were talking about um, whatever the topic was made me look at the shooter mm-hmm. and I became very, uh, I don't want to say sad, but just felt a deep urge to pray for that, for that guy. And, know that he was the biggest pariah in the entire world at that moment. And you don't wake up one morning and just be like, well, I'm going to go shoot a theater tonight. Like lots of things have to go wrong in in a very odd and, and, um, and it's in the context of what we're talking about as far as the capitalist society that we live in, um, the the way technology informs us in our society and trying to find like okay how why is why is that prayer falling on my heart in this moment yeah and i remember sharing that story and it was actually with a pastor and this look in their eye of why would you pray for someone yeah. that just shot up a theater what know. like what's wrong with you yeah and it was it was a very I, I being vulnerable with that person at that moment yeah. I realized was not the was not the right person because he hadn't read uh, you know Jesus said pray for your enemies. No, well, I know they've read that, <laughs> <'Cause>, but <laughs> yeah, it's just a foreign concept. Yeah, yeah, and there's still so much in me that has sympathies for uh, the blue side of the civil war. There's something in me that still has sympathies towards Irish. Mm. Uh, uh, revolutionaries, um, and uh, you know, and and for Winston Churchill and Roosevelt, and you know, against Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I th- I think it has to come like what you how you described it. It it comes from within, unexplainable, mm. and it's that's the kingdom of God because that's what would have have to happen for me. I think yeah, because I, I still have all those sympathies for 
violence, if you will. Well, and I couldn't think my way into praying for that Exactly. Guy. It's not a thing you think your way into. It's, yeah, like even sitting here retelling the story, it was in that moment. Yeah. And it, and it was with me, I want to say for a couple of days, maybe even a week, where I, that I really just on my heart felt that. Interesting. And you can't think your way into no. that. That, you know, praying it for. It emerges. You know, like. Logically, I'm not going to pray for a white supremacist. No. But if I read Jesus and meditate on Jesus and focus on Jesus, yeah. like you said, it's like, well, pray for my enemies. Yeah, and he would pray through you, if you will. And it has to just be spontaneous. Yeah, and he emerges from a place beyond what John Wimber called the transrational. Mm. Uh, it comes from a place like that. And, and so, yeah, so I don't think... Being a citizen of the kingdom of God is a rational thing. I think it's a transformative thing. And, and even now, we're, you know, those of us who, who embrace signs and wonders and believe that God is available to healing, we're in a, we have to admit we're in a crisis right now uh, with COVID because you don't see a lot of, uh, where are these faith healers in the hospitals? Uh, you know, <laughs> they're not there. They're not healing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guarantee you they'll claim they did. Of course. After it's all safe. Five years from now. Yeah, years. and people will buy it and send them money, but uh, such is the way of the world. Um, but yeah, so you, we have to sit in that uh, unresolved tension. Of, well, and that's, and so maybe this is a good rabbit hole because it's actually been on my mind as we were discussing this particular topic to lead up to the podcast the last couple of days. But those, those, um, whether it's Mother Nature causing chaos through tsunamis mm-hmm. or earthquakes, yeah. or like you're talking about now, COVID, um, or you know, whatever man made atrocities that we could list throughout the ages, right. right? So, someone, you know, the burning question, and I know it's been asked over, so I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, where's God in that, right? Where's the kingdom of God in that, you know, and and you know, how do, how do you explore that with somebody? Yeah. Well, for me, it's the same question about my own personal tragedies, mm. and my own personal uh, apocalypses, uh, which I've had a few. Uh, and if anybody's been alive long enough, you've, you've had yeah. one or two. Absolutely. And, and again, it goes back to uh, where are you, God, in the loss of my brother? Where are you in the, in the, in the struggles of my daughter? Where are you in the struggles of my health? And um, and and for me personally, what gives me sanity is that uh, God is experiencing that suffering in real time through the least of these. So the tears that I cry are God's tears. Um, and so there's a redemptive value in that, at least a placeholder for me, at, at the very least. And and I've been, you know, I've been on the precipice of of death uh, three times in my life, once in childhood, two in my adulthood. And the last two, so my life was reduced to its very last common denominator. And I can honestly, intellectually honestly say that the sum of my life and any meaning that's there is in the what, what the Catholic Church would call the Paschal mystery, which is the mystery of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so which is replicated throughout the universe. 
you know. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. And that, that was the placeholder I was going to point to is Jesus on the cross literally saying, why have you forsaken me? Like that was yeah. his, his prayer as he's going through his own tragedy, his own passion yeah. in that moment. Yeah, I see that. I missed it. I see the, the, the side wound as mm. he's hanging on the cross. They pierce his side. Right. I see that mystically as a singularity in which all the suffering of the entire world from the first tears in Genesis of Eve over the murdered uh, body of her son, uh, committed by her other son, the first tears of, of the first mother to the last tears that fall uh, are all going through that side wound and being mm. redeemed somehow, being transformed. And that's that's my hope. That's what faith is. Uh, faith is in that. Faith is what you need for that in-between right. time, the already but not yet. Um, John Wimber used to say, you know, the Bible says Jesus is interceding and praying for you. That's the good news. The bad news is you need to be prayed for by <laughs> Jesus Christ himself. That's the right. bad news and because you're going to need it. <laughs> well, it's amazing, too, because as you were talking about that redemption uh, in that side wound, a lot of people like to focus and, you know, that, that's a vague statement. But in the Christian world that I've engaged, they love to remind us and focus on the original sin. You know what I mean? Which is connected to Eve, like you were talking right. about with the, you know, later on the tears over her son. But the focus and the um, miracle of that redemption of what you're saying within that side wound, that is that is the real beautiful story from my point of view. And it's like, you know. How can we meditate and focus on that as a as a a community as a whole? Yeah. I I think if you're here in the Southwest, you know there are uh, go to a Mexican cathedral and look at the crucifix there, and it says everything about the suffering of one people. And at least we're in it together. There's a solidarity there, and we're right. sitting here in this silence. And uh, I've, I've wandered into quite a few churches on a sleepy Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's just uh, huddled masses just sitting quietly there. These are the people, the Beatitudes. Uh, these are the people whispering prayers. Um, and those are my people. That's where I find some healing, if you will. That connection. Um, I honestly can't say, you know, I've survived sepsis. Um, it looked miraculous. Uh, the timing and circumstances of this heart attack that I had last was very strange circumstances. But I also honestly can't say that it was a divine healing either. And so, uh, because I'm still sick, you know, I'm still recovering. I still will, will be in recovery. And so it doesn't work out all nice and tidy in real life is what I found out as they project on Christian television. Mm -hmm. And so... Well, and just from my point of view as an observer and sort of walking with you through through this most recent heart attack, what you just said is true, and I can see the divine threads. Threads, through. that's a good term, yeah. 
the you know that breaking through of the kingdom yeah you know in the in particular moments and i and i think that's where it comes back to like taking taking that in the the here and now of of the world because like you said you're still trying to heal yeah you're you know the recovery has been long and slow and it's it's progressing but it's it's not that um, sort of flip a switch miraculous healing right right, right here and right now yeah and i jumped out of my bed and jumped out of the icu and the doc no it chopped didn't happen down, at yeah, all chopped down a tree no i still bear the, the wounds you know and there were these threads there were these moments i don't i don't particularly have a a mariology in the in the sense that you know uh i believe there's a literal virgin mary uh listening to our prayers uh but i definitely believe in the divine feminine uh and um and so there was a moment the the night before the the bypass surgery i was you know as i think most people should be very scared right <laughs> and uh very anxious yeah cuz they're uh, going to crack your chest open and yeah, mess with your heart i didn't arm. know and i was already recovering from kidney failure so it was a risk whether i was even going to make it through cuz what you were a week removed if that from the only kidney. 2 days yeah. from the the infectious disease doctor saying yeah you're you're clear from the blood disease uh, blood infection and your kidneys are back online two days and then they're going to crack my chest open. And so, you know, I felt like I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of those early Friendship 7 astronauts about to be blasted into orbit, you know, for the first time after rocketed, the Russians. Rocketed, <laughs> and, right. you know, and uh, and so I was I was scared and, and this uh, and this very quiet, timid, a woman came in in the evening to draw blood, and and she didn't speak. Uh, Spanish was her dominant language, as many, uh, many, many people in in our region in El Paso. And she had a. Uh, she was wearing an emblem of of the Lady of Guadalupe, and I was feeling very alone, very scared, and and she was very timid and and uh, insecure. Uh, so I asked her while she's drawing the blood, um, I said, do you, do you pray to Our Lady? And then she said, yes, yes. And I said, could you, uh, could you uh, ask her uh, to protect me and to be with me? I need my mother right now. And she was like, yeah, I'll do that. And, and then she came back, you know, a couple hours later just to check on me. And I could tell she had prayed. And that, so that human connection between us in that moment is the kingdom of God. That's the threads that you're talking right. about. And Absolutely. Of divinity through suffering. And um, so, yeah. And there are so many moments like that in the 13 days well, I was in the hospital. And sort of adjacent to that in a connected, maybe not connected sort of way is um, what you have on the back of your phone. Yeah, yeah. I carried my, my uh, beloved aunt, Betty had passed away last year, and I've carried her funeral card in the back of my phone, which has the image of the Lady of Guadalupe, right. the protector of Mexico. And so, again, I'm not projecting Mariology or any kind of Mary theology, but I do believe in the divine uh, feminine of God, and 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 I res- you know, and I respect those kind of stories. So, well, and especially They're cultural for me. Well, and. 
connected to our topic, prayer is real. Yeah. Meditation is real. The kingdom of, of heaven here on earth, that's real. Right. And so yeah. if if we pay attention, we will see these threads coming through. Yeah, I think that's the idea. The faith is paying attention. And if the, we the, the prayer practice is paying attention to these signposts, yeah. And we'll fall asleep. Yeah. Just like the disciples did in the garden. Yeah, exactly. That that's one of my favorite stories because for two reasons. One, it paints like Jesus's best of buddies are falling asleep at his darkest hour. Right. And he's still like loving enough to be like, hey guys, like wake yeah. up. Let's we're, we're gonna walk th- through this. Yeah, we're about to go over the waterfall here. And <laughs> and his prayer is like, hey, I don't want this to happen. But if it's your will, let's do it. Let's roll. Yeah. You know, and and um those are two scary things. Yeah, it's right? terrifying. Knowing I'm gonna be the guy that falls asleep and hopefully God will wake me up. Yeah. Um and I'm going to fall asleep at the most inconvenient moment for those around me. Yeah. And I'm going to be the one praying, uh, this isn't necessarily what I want, but God, if it's your will, uh, let it be done. Yeah. It's a powerful, you know, it takes the, the, the theology of grace into powerful reality, real terms, you know. You know, I started, I think I might have, I may have mentioned this in previous Podcast, but it, so in my life, I started in my teens of John Wimber saying, uh, "If you have a willing heart, um, and you take the risk of faith to heal the sick or whatever it is, mm. uh, God will back you up." That was his one of his frequent statements. But now in my forties, and then and now uh, in my forties and then fifties, now uh, Thomas Keating's phrase rings more true to me, an expansion of that original uh, phrase, which is uh, Thomas Keene said, God will, uh, God backs up the people that he chooses. Uh, and usually he backs you up with failure <laughs> and he backs you up with uh, humiliation. With hum- yeah. With humility. And, and then he goes, and if you're lucky, martyrdom. <laughs> and so I'm kind of more in that other camp, which is kind of a, uh, I guess a transition from the charismatic perspective, dominant perspective, to a more contemplative mm. perspective, and and the two weave together. Yeah, uh, you know, but that's they overlap on the Venn diagram, as we say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and and I think this is related. The first time I read this prayer, it totally terrified me, um, and I I was reminded of it last week when I was talking to a guy on the phone that was. He wasn't questioning his faith, but he was he was asking me questions about my faith, I guess is a good way to put it. And it's John Wesley is credited for writing this. It's it's called the Wesleyan Covenant. This version is the contemporary wording. Mm-hmm. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me put be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now 
O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. (sighs) That terrifies me a little bit less today, but that's terrifying to really fully turn your life and will over to God. Yeah, that's a profound, powerful prayer, and and we could pray those prayer the the praying of those prayers. Uh, and when I was more charismatically inclined, we would call people up to respond to surrender and say a prayer like that. Mm. And then I realized we're still calling the conditions of our surrender by merely praying these prayers. We're still exerting our wills. Uh, uh, but when uh, the real circumstances, so it's just a fire drill right now. Right. We're practicing. It's a practice. It's for a the practice. Real, yeah. yeah. So the real one comes when you're in the traffic jam and you have no control over your time at that point. Or when uh, a, a, a pandemic sweeps through yeah, the Yeah. Or the doctor says it's not, you, they can't operate and go set your affairs in order, you know, yeah. uh, those kinds of things. And it's, it sounds like we're, we're going down on a, on a sad note, but yeah. in fact, that is the grace of God because that's, if we've ran the fire drill, even if we haven't run the fire drill, the yeah. grace of God steps in. Yeah, I believe it's it's the uh, the love and the grace of God is the force of the universe. And that's where I begin all of my theological thinking and philosophical thinking and real thinking. I just believe that first and foremost, that at the end of the day, there is love and only love. Yeah, God's love, God's compassion. Yeah. Um, God being part of us, yeah, ingrained in our in our DNA and our soul and our bones. That's where it shows up in our life. Yeah, in the very fabric of the universe. And we're the most powerless, and, and our life's the most unmanageable, or seemingly the most unmanageable. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think that's a beautiful place to yeah. to wrap it. It's for not today. a bad way to go through your life. Yeah. Not a bad way to wrap up a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for listening, David Morrison. Thank you you, all. Yeah, would you like to close us out with with your adios? Yeah, adios. (laughs) From (laughs) the border. From the border. Take it easy.